All right, uh, so I don't know what life's been like your house, at your house this past week. This was the first week of distance learning in our uh, family, and it has been an adventure. And so I thought it might be a little fun to let you see behind the scenes into my family, and then at the end we'll let you see behind the scenes here in the sanctuary what it looks like. So um, I promise you, People are smiling in every one of these pictures. That's because they're staged. Uh, we were not smiling faces all week long. And probably within 30 seconds of most of these pictures, somebody was not smiling. So uh, the Roten household this week looked a little bit like starting off uh, with some home at class and cooking some breakfast. Looks like we're having some issues there with the photos. So uh, we made breakfast and then uh, we went into online learning. All right, I guess the photos are not gonna work. At this time, we will go ahead and turn the cameras around uh, and let you take a look. Oh, here we go, they look like they're up. So after breakfast, we had Schoology crash. So it was mom to the rescue. It's really nice to be married to the technology teacher. Uh, that helps out quite a bit in my world. Once we finally got it up, everybody put their headphones in, and as long as we didn't talk to each other, no one fought. It was great. We got along all day, uh, and everybody could kind of quietly work. After a little bit of learning, we went outside for art class and had a little bit of fun on the driveway. It's good to get the sunshine. And then we were back in and back at it. So if you're wondering how seminary's going, I am still plugging away. Also, if you're wondering, I wonder what Jason wears when he's online doing the Bible study. My pajama pants. It's pretty awesome. So uh, there you go. Uh, Corey wanted to social distance from the rest of us, so she went into a different room. Uh, probably uh, was a much quieter and smelled better in that room, so that's where she went. Uh, after that, it was outside to basketball where we played a little two-on-one. I think for the next couple weeks, I can still win, but I'm going to be in trouble soon. And then we came in for a family board game. So we hope that your family is doing well as you're trying to figure this out, whatever family looks like for you right now. Um, and we are praying for you. So, but also we want to show you a little bit of what the sanctuary looks like. We've had some people ask. So we've got Jeffrey on our roaming camera coming up and giving you a picture of what it looks like. We're waving our palms here on Palm Sunday. It's really pretty empty, and we can't wait till you're here. Uh, all of the extroverts in the crowd are ready to give you hugs and welcome you back, and all of the introverts are still going to keep social distancing going on even after we're back together. So we'll make sure we're respectful of all that. Well, thanks for joining us for week four of our GOAT series, Greatest of All Time. And in this series, we've looked at how Jesus is the greatest teacher of all time, the greatest friend of all time, the greatest example of all time. And today we're going to take a look at Jesus as the greatest king of all time. But for fun along with that, we've also taken a look at who's the greatest NBA player of all time, who's the greatest NFL quarterback of all time. I'm still disappointed that Drew Brees was not on the slide. Zach is booing me right now. And, uh, and last week we looked at what's the greatest coffee drink you've ever had of all time. Today, I thought we'd take a look at what is the greatest candy bar of all time. So you can add your comments in the comments section, either on Facebook or in the live church, uh, and let us know yours. For the last two and a half years, mine has been the Take 5 bar. Now, I was introduced to the Take 5 bar when I was with our high school students in the Boundary Waters, and uh, it is like pretzel, so it's got a little salty crunch to it with peanuts, caramel, all wrapped in chocolate, 
absolutely amazing. And I thought, this is the greatest candy bar. It can't get better than this. And then two weeks ago, when we decided we were going to paint our house, I went to Menards and I saw this. And it is the Take Five Reese's Bar. So think of everything I just described to you with Reese's peanut butter shoved in there. Oh my gosh. And it comes in like individual bites. So if you have any self-control, you can eat it at three different settings uh, or three different times. You can see it's 100 calories per piece. We won't talk about how many 300 calorie uh, meals I've made out of Reese's Take Five bars in the last couple of weeks. So absolutely amazing. But today you didn't tune in to hear us talk about candy bars. We came to talk about Jesus as the greatest king of all time. And I think as we wrestle with that, we need to understand what's happening as Jesus comes into Jerusalem on this Palm Sunday and a little bit of the history. And the history is that, that the Israelites have wanted a king since the beginning of their time. So if you don't know the Old Testament real well, I'm going to race you through it real quick. But the Israelites are in slavery in Egypt. God sends Moses. Moses leads them out of Egypt, across the Red Sea. The Egyptians drown in the Red Sea. They go to Mount Sinai, where God speaks and gives them the Ten Commandments. And he says in that, these are the commandments I want you to obey so we can be in relationship with each other. They leave Mount Sinai and head to the promised land, the land that God had promised them they would have. When they get just to the edge of that, they send in the spies, 12 of them. 10 come back and say, there is no way that we can take that land. It is everything God promised us it would be. However, the people who live there are giants. They are warriors. They're well more advanced than we are. We cannot take that land. Two spies said, we can. Obviously, popular opinion. The Israelites said, no. God said, fine. Go wander in the desert for 40 years. So they wander around in the desert for 40 years. Moses passes away. Those other 10 spies pass away. Joshua, one of the two spies, becomes the next leader of Israel. Joshua's job is to lead the Israelites into the promised land. And that's exactly what he does in the book of Joshua. And after Joshua dies, there's a time in there. And it says the Israelites did what was right in their own eyes. And what this essentially means is they forgot God's command. They did whatever they thought was right. They kept doing that. They end up being persecuted um, by another, by different people groups. And in the book of Judges, we see this cycle where Israel does what's right in their own eyes. They end up uh, being persecuted. They ask for repentance. God sends a judge. The judge leads them back to what God wants them to do. The judge dies. Everybody does what's right in their own eyes. And that's the cycle that repeats all the way through the book of Judges until Samuel comes on the scene. And Samuel's kind of the last judge and a prophet. And Samuel's about to die. And the Israelites come to him in uh, 1 Samuel chapter 5, verse 5. And they say this, Look, they told him, you're now old and your sons are not like you. Give us a king to judge us like all the other nations have. The Israelites come and they, they want to be like everybody else. Literally, they say, we want a king. And the reason we want a king is because everybody else has one. I mean, the Israelites are literally like my middle school son. Dad, can I have an iPhone? All my friends have one. I want to be like everybody else. The Israelites have no real reason for why they want a king. God has said, I will be your God. I will be your king. I've told you what it's like to live in my kingdom. Nope, we want a king. And Samuel says to them, listen, you don't really want a king. 
A king is going to draft your sons for war. He's going to take your daughters to cook and clean for him. He's going to take your best fields. He'll require a tenth of your grain and your grapes. He's going to take a tenth of your livestock. And not only that, but you're going to lose your freedom. You won't be free to do what you want anymore. You'll have to live under his rule and his reign and his rules. Israel thinks about it and then says, nope, even so, we still want a king. And so if you know anything about the rest of the Old Testament, God gives them a king. And periodically they have a good king, but for the most part, the kings who rule Israel are kings who, much like our leaders today, struggle with the pursuit and the hunger for power, for money, and for sex. And each one of these kings leads them further and further away from God, further away from the commands of God, from the love of God, until ultimately they end up back in slavery to a nation even more brutal than the Egyptians, the Babylonians. But all the way through, the prophets are telling, there's a new king coming. There'll be another king. His, he will be the Messiah, the anointed one of God. And he'll come and establish a different kind of kingdom. We see that in the writing of Zechariah. In Zechariah 9.9, it says, Rejoice, O people of Zion. Shout in triumph, all people of Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming to you. He is righteous and victorious, yet he is humble, riding on a donkey, riding a donkey's colt. So the king that these prophets are, are prophesying about is a Messiah. The king that God promised would lead them from evil and would defeat evil and bring back goodness. And we're going to take a look at his inauguration today. So if you are at home, open up your Bibles or flip in your phones to Matthew chapter 21, verse 1. Parents, grandparents, I think this is a great time to grab a Bible. Help your kid or grandkid find this passage. You can make as much noise as you want in your living room looking this up. You won't distract anybody around you. And we're going to take a look at Matthew chapter 21, verse 1. But I think what happens in the midst of this time, the Israelites, the Jewish leaders of Jesus' day are still looking for that Old Testament king, that king that's going to win the victory, that king that's going to lead them in battle, that king who's going to come in and fight the war, who's going to be strong, who's going to impose his will, and who ultimately is going to come and battle the Romans and overthrow the Roman Empire. And I think it's, they're looking for a king like that that caused them to struggle to see that Jesus really was the Messiah, the king that God had sent. And so we see in Matthew 21, Jesus' inauguration. As Jesus and the disciples approached Jerusalem, they came to the town of Bethpage on the Mount of Olives. Jesus sent two of them on ahead. Go into the village over there, he said. As soon as you enter it, you will see a donkey tied there with its colt beside it. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone asks, what are you doing? Just say, the Lord needs them, and he will immediately let you take them. This took place to fulfill the prophecy that said, tell the people of Jerusalem, look, your king is coming. He is humble, riding on a donkey, riding on a donkey's colt. The two disciples did as Jesus commanded, and they brought the donkey and the colt to him, and they threw their garments over the colt, 
and he sat on it. Most of the crowd spread their garments on the road ahead of him, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Jesus was in the center of the procession, and the people all around him were shouting, Praise God for the Son of David, blessing on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Praise God in the highest heaven. The entire city of Jerusalem was in an uproar as he entered. Who is this, they asked. And the crowd replied, It is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Now it doesn't take a scholar to look at this procession and realize this is a little bit different. Different than expected. When we think of a king, I don't expect a king to come riding on a donkey. Now, I don't know how you envision Jesus, but I envision Jesus as tall. So as a tall guy sitting on a donkey, I almost picture him like having to ride side saddle so he can like lift his knees up so his toes don't drag the ground. I mean, in our modern world, this is really funny. What is a donkey useful for anyway? I don't know a whole lot about farming, but I don't know what we do with donkeys on farms right now. So if you can tell me that, you can put that in the comments as you're listening, and I'll scroll back through and maybe I'll learn something uh, throughout the day today. But this is humorous to us. But to the Israelites who are watching, a donkey did symbolize something. But it didn't symbolize what they'd hoped for in a king. A king who rides a donkey in is a king who will reign with peace and with gentleness. This is not the warrior king that they had hoped for. This flashes back not to King David, the king who fought all the battles in their history, but to David's son Solomon, who also rode in on a donkey. This is one of the signs that you can see in this, that Jesus is the king of the upside-down kingdom. Jesus' rule is going to be different, but it's going to be greater than any king that's ever reigned, but it is going to be a different kind of rule. And Matthew has spent his entire book helping us see Jesus as a king of an upside-down kingdom. And Jesus is the king of this kingdom because Jesus is the king who came to serve, not to be served. I would challenge you, if you're looking for something to do in your free time this week, pick up one of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, and read through it as you prepare for Easter and Good Friday. And take a look and see how you see Jesus serving those around him. Pay special attention for the ways that he goes and meets with those who are outside of the city, who are outside of the social norm, those who are sick, who are paralyzed, social outcasts, who are hurting, whose lives have literally fallen apart. Those are the people Jesus came to serve. And he's not asking them to clean up their act. He's simply inviting them to come and follow him. He says, come and follow, come and be part of my kingdom and I'll help you put your life back together. Today, Jesus is inviting us to come and allow him to speak truth into our lives that helps form who we are, that helps put our broken lives back together as we feel like life falls apart, as we feel alone, as we feel isolated. Jesus says, come. 
And Jesus comes humbly. He doesn't come and speak judgment over these people. He comes to love them and embrace them and welcome them in. Jesus isn't the king who sits in a palace far removed from his people. He's the king who comes and walks among those who are in need, those who are hurting the most, and welcomes them in. Not only does Jesus come to serve, he's the king who comes to bring peace. Webster's definition of peace is tranquility or the freedom from disturbance. Now, as you read the gospel this week, whichever one you choose, you'll see that in Jesus' ministry here on earth, that wasn't necessarily always true. It seems like every time he spoke, performed a miracle, or challenged somebody, there was a little bit of an uproar, and maybe peace didn't result. But think about the peace that Jesus spoke into the lives of those who came to him for healing. Those who felt alone. And Jesus spoke peace into their hearts. Or what about the disciples as they were literally in the middle of a giant storm in a boat and Jesus stands up and says, peace be still. And we think he was talking to the disciples and that they will still. But in that situation, the storm calmed. You see, sometimes Jesus speaks peace and the storm calms. Sometimes Jesus speaks peace and our hearts calm. We're living in the middle of one of the biggest storms in our lifetime. Have you felt the peace of Jesus seep into your heart and into your mind? Have you found peace in the midst of this pandemic, in the midst of homeschooling your kids, in the midst of video conference after video conference after video conference, in the midst of not knowing what's going to happen next? Has Jesus spoken peace into your heart? One day Jesus will return and he will establish a kingdom of peace. A kingdom that will be ruled with peace where there is no war, there is no sickness, there is no death. There is only peace. And we trust this because this is the same God who said, I will die and three days later rise again and he did it. So there's no reason to think that when he comes again, his peace won't come in the same way. He's also the God who loves sacrificially. Jesus knows as he rides the donkey into Jerusalem that day that at the end of the week, he will be coronated as king with a crown of thorns shoved on his head, with the Roman government mocking him and the soldiers mocking him as they put a purple robe over him. And ultimately, they will hang him on a cross with a sign, King of the Jews, above his head. And his throne will be the cross where he gives up his life and dies for you and for me. Again, Jesus could have sat on the throne of heaven and watched But that's not what makes him the greatest king. What makes him the greatest king is that he stepped out, that he lived in our world, that he came and he died for you and for me. 
so that he could rise again, conquering death, defeating sin, and setting us free, free to rule in his kingdom, free to be citizens of the kingdom that he rules over because of his sacrificial love, because of his willingness to come and serve. And it's in that, in his throne of a cross, in the empty tomb on Easter Sunday, that Jesus becomes the king who welcomes everyone to his kingdom. Jesus didn't die on the cross for just a few. Jesus didn't die on the cross for those who have privilege. Jesus didn't die on the cross for those who have friends or money or are popular. Jesus came and died on the cross to welcome everybody in, the sick, the demon-possessed, the hurting, those whose lives have crumbled before them. But what makes Jesus the most interesting king of all is that he invites us to come and follow, to come and be a part of his kingdom. Most kings come, they set up their reign, they set up their rule, and they issue commands, and you follow them or you die or get kicked out of the kingdom. Jesus comes as the king who sets up his throne on the cross, who walks out of an empty grave and says, I invite you to come and see. I invite you to come. All through the Gospel of Matthew, he's performing miracles. He's healing people. And then he invites people to come. Come and follow me. Come and see what my kingdom is all about. And the truth is the crowd disperses. And he does it again. He heals people. He performs miracles. And he says, come and follow. And a few follow along, but the majority leave. Jesus is the king who wants everyone to come in and experience what his kingdom has to offer. The love, the acceptance, the place of belonging that his kingdom has for them. But he doesn't force it. He doesn't make us. He gives us the choice. But if we choose to believe, if we choose to believe that Jesus really is our king, that he really is the son of God, and we live as citizens in that kingdom, our belief in him is what gets us in. But we have responsibility to then live as good citizens, not to earn any standing but simply so that others can be invited in. As citizens of that kingdom, we have the responsibility to serve our neighbors, to bring peace and speak peace into people's lives, to sacrificially love one another. And most importantly, to tell everybody else about this kingdom that they can be a part of, that they are welcome into, that Jesus came and died to create for them. So on Palm Sunday, the greatest king of all time comes to us riding on a donkey, sitting on common people's clothes and walking among the outcast of society who feel alone and hopeless. And I think this is exactly what makes him the greatest king of all time. Jesus is the king of of an upside-down kingdom. So in Palm Sunday 2020, we have the same 
question to answer as those did who watched him ride into the city. Who is this man? It's Jesus. So what are you going to do with Jesus? Are you going to follow him like the disciples did? Not perfectly, but they did their best. They got forgiveness whenever they needed it, but they did their best to follow, to give their lives to be a part of him. Will we follow Jesus? Will we say, yes, you are who you say you are and place our belief in him and let him come in and be king of our lives? Will we remain neutral? Not really sure what to believe, swayed by, the pub, by popular opinion or by what's happening like the crowds who praise him on Palm Sunday and who yell crucify him later in the week. And so we just believe whatever popular opinion is about Jesus without actually doing any work or investigating for ourselves. Or will we be like the religious leaders of Jesus' day who rejected him, who said, you're not king, you're not the Messiah, you're not the one we've expected, and we want you crucified. And so we reject Jesus and turn our back on him and pretend like he never existed and live like he never existed. No matter who you are or what you've done, Jesus went to the cross to defeat death and to welcome you in to his upside-down kingdom. We all have the chance and the opportunity to believe and once we believe, we have the responsibility to live as citizens of that kingdom and to invite others to come and experience that kingdom with us. So today, who do you say Jesus is? If you've never said, Jesus, I want you to be king of my life, I believe you are who you say you are. I believe you are the God who came and died and paid the price for all the things that I've done wrong. And I believe you rose from the dead, conquering death and defeating sin. If you've never said yes to that, Jesus, in just a moment, you're going to have a chance. And if you're a citizen, how are you loving? How are you serving? And how are you inviting others in? Where are you speaking peace into people's lives? As we close, I'm going to pray. If you're ready today to say yes to Jesus for the first time, I want you to just pray this prayer with me. You can pray it out loud in your living room. You can pray it silently in your heart. It doesn't matter. God will hear it no matter what. Will you pray? Dear Holy Father, God, I'm sorry for all the things I've done wrong. I know I'm a sinner. And I can't do anything to take that away. God, I believe you sent Jesus and that he came and died to pay the price for my mistakes, to do on the cross what I couldn't do. I can't do anything to save myself. And so God, I accept Jesus' death and resurrection as my only hope for salvation. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for giving me hope. Thank you for dying for my sins. Thank you for coming and for being my king.
God, help me. Use your Holy Spirit at work in my life to make me more like Jesus every day. Amen. If you prayed that prayer with us, we would love for you to text I believe to 94090. We just want to be able to follow up with you, to help you, and to celebrate with you that you are now a citizen of the upside down kingdom. Thank you for joining with us today.